preach to us. All righty. Good afternoon, Providence Church, and Merry Christmas Eve. Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. How are you guys doing? I thought I might get a Merry Christmas back. It's okay, though. Um, Yay, thank you, thank you. Uh, I love gathering here with all of you on Christmas Eve. I hope you love it, too. I know there may be some of you who maybe came against your will, and that's okay. No judgment. We love being here together uh, on Christmas Eve together. And I want to start off by asking you a question, and that is this. Uh, What is, in your mind, the best part about Christmas? Okay, think about it for a second in your own head. What's the best part about Christmas? For my wife, undoubtedly, she would say Hallmark Christmas movies. Anyone? Anyone? Okay, I hear some boos. No. Some of you would say the best part about Christmas is family, right? I'm sure that some of you are in that. Some of you would say uh, the best part about Christmas is any time without family. Anyone? Yeah. So for me, I saw a fist pump back there. I won't out who it was. Maybe later, though. Um, But for me, Undoubtedly, my favorite part, the best part of Christmas, was a tradition that my family had growing up, was just a Christmas evening tradition. And that was, we would lay out a table uh, of a feast. Uh, We would grill steaks. We'd also make seafood like crab or lobster and just stuff our faces for like an hour. It was unbelievable stuffing our faces. And then slowly we would kind of migrate, waddle to the Christmas tree. And then uh, my dad would read the Christmas story from Luke 2. And then we would sing a couple Christmas carols together, uh, and then we would open gifts. And it was like this memory. We still do it, actually. Uh, We're going to do it this coming week in a few days. And it's just like this kind of magical memory that I have, this Christmas celebration. It is the best. Well, we all have probably our favorites, the favorite part that we have about Christmas. And Matthew, the author of the verse that we read, that Hannah read just a second ago, has his own vote for what the best part of Christmas is. He said, wait, wait, I've got something to say about this. I think I know the best part about Christmas. And this is what he says in Matthew 1.21. I won't even read the whole thing. He says that he will save his people. You see in that second line, it says he will save his people. Matthew is saying that the best part about Christmas has to do with saving. Now, have you ever thought about this word save? It's kind of an extreme word. Like for, to help someone out, Like to come alongside them and push them along, that's one thing. But to qualify as saving someone, that's kind of a big deal. Like for instance, the other day I was working on my sermon in my office and I was kind of frustrated. It was actually supposed to be my day off, but I was working through it and um, one of the staff members happened to come in and she saw that I was working on my sermon and so she, in a blessing to me, uh, went to Starbucks, got me a latte and brought it back for me and blessed me in that way. I'm like, that is amazing. So helpful. That caffeine is what I needed to get through, but it didn't save me, right? Uh, The other day when it snowed, maybe not as much as we thought, but it snowed uh, some, I had a friend who went and shoveled sidewalks and stairs for me. And I'm like, that is amazing, so helpful, but it didn't save me. But there was one time when I was about four years old and I was walking with my mom. We had just checked into the Holiday Inn in Kearney, Nebraska. Now, if you were alive in the 80s, Holiday Inn was a big deal back then. And um, I was walking next to a pool And I misstepped, I slipped, and I fell into the pool. 
and I was in it and I was disoriented. I didn't know how to swim and I was looking around, didn't know what was going on. And I turned and I saw a light, not that kind of seeing the light, but I looked and I saw this light and I was all disoriented. And all of a sudden uh, a hand reached down. My mom reached down and she reached in and she picked me up out of the water and she saved me. I took this deep breath. (gasps) (sighs) (sighs) My mom saved me. What God is talking about in this verse is the Christmas story is a story about saving. Friends, home alone and twinkling lights, Christmas presents, feasts, those are all great things, but we have something greater to celebrate. God reached down at Christmas and saved us, amen? And God reached down at Christmas and saved us. So if you are a Christian, I wanna invite you to celebrate God saving us this afternoon. I want to invite you to remember that, to grasp that, that God actually saved us. And if you're not a Christian in the room tonight, I wanna ask you this simple question. Is it possible that I need to be saved? Is it possible that I need to be saved? I want to put this verse back up on the screen. It's Matthew 121, and I want to read it really quickly to you again. It says this. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, an angel is communicating this to Joseph, the husband of Mary, who's the mother of Jesus. And she's saying, hey, this is the classic Bethlehem manger story. And he says, you'll call his name Jesus. Now that name Jesus is kind of a big deal. It was common in the day, but it actually literally means God saves, okay? God saves. So the angel is telling us the way in which God saves. It happens through this baby boy, Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of seems odd to me that God would say, hey, I'm gonna reach down and I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna do this monumental act However, I'm going to do it through a baby boy. Doesn't that sound kind of odd? Well, it sounds kind of like a weak start to me. Well, there's something that I read recently that made me look at this and say, whoa, this is a lot different than I thought. This is like, this is kind of mind-blowing what God did in this. And it's a quote from this author, Chad Bird. I want you to follow along up here. It says this. It says, This is a whole new way to look at Christmas. From God's viewpoint and Satan's, Christmas signals far more than the birth of a baby. It was an invasion, the decisive advance from heaven to earth in the great struggle for the cosmos or the world. Bird goes on and rewrites the first line of Silent Night where he says this, stick with me here. He says, Silent Night, Violent Night, Heaven and Hell meet to fight. And then he goes on to write, wars have been waged over money, property, honor, power, and oil. But this war, the greatest conflict in human history is over us. I know it's a little intense for Christmas Eve, apologize. But think about it. A war was being waged over our souls and God broke through. He broke through in the fighting to send Jesus to the world to save, to secure victory. Who would have thought an invasion would come through a baby boy born in Bethlehem? So, okay, this victory, this battle, what, what was this victory? What was the battle? Why was there a need for victory? Well, let me fill you in on the backstory. So God's people before Jesus in the Old Testament, they were not moral, you know, upstanding citizens. They were not the spiritually elite. You would think maybe they were. If you read the Bible, of course, God's people are going to be the best, right? Well, that's not what the story describes. God's people were rebellious. 
They were worshiping other gods. They were teaming up with evil nations. They were mistreating their own poor people in their communities. Like, it was not great. They were a rebellious people that disobeyed God over and over and over. And because of that, they found themselves in this place where they were oppressed by Rome, where they were poor, they were marginalized, they were mistreated. Their whole existence was chaos and evil seemed to be winning. And if God wanted his people back, he would have to save them, right? And he sent Jesus at Christmas to save. But what he saved them from was rather surprising. I want to put that verse back up there again, Matthew 1, 21. What did he save them from? It says in the last half of the verse, you shall call his name Jesus, God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. What did he save them from? He saved them from their sins, right? Now, wait a minute. Let me think about this. In a world where these people are oppressed, where land was being stolen, essentially, from these Israelites, where a powerful regime was mistreating them, where money was scarce, all of those things, wouldn't you think that saving would be like a wholesale change of circumstances? Wouldn't you think that's what God would do? Wouldn't you think saving would be something like an army that would come to to overthrow the powerful Roman Empire? But we find out in Matthew 121 that the problem Jesus came to address was not out there. It was in here. It was a personal problem. It was a heart problem. Now, as we look around at our world right now, um, it might feel, feel a little bit like it did to the ancient Israelites. Like, there's chaos out there, right? You look at just politics, right? Or American politics. You have half the people on this side, half the people on this side, this people hate, these people hate these people, these people hate these people. Like, it's crazy, right? It's chaos. You look at Twitter, it feels like a digital war zone of sorts, right? Everyone is suspicious that big companies are manipulating people. Everyone is suspicious that news stations and newscasters are are lying to people and manipulating you to try to believe a certain thing. Even the people, politicians, celebrities, even pastors, people who work at churches, one after another after another are having moral failures. And you're like, wait, what is going on? And so you think for us, if God would save, if Jesus would come and swoop down and save us, wouldn't he start by putting an end to the crooked politics? The crooked politicians, the lying influencers, maybe the money-hungry and power-hungry millionaires or even billionaires? Well, the story of Christmas is that Jesus came to fix the problem by saving people from their sins. God over and over makes the claim that the crux of the problem in our world is not out there. It's actually in here. It starts in here. We have something, namely sin, that needs to be addressed. Do you believe that we have a sin problem? Think about that. In Tim Keller's latest book, entitled Forgive, he tells a story. On New Year's Eve in 1843, there was this young man who was uh, feeling all sorts of guilty. 
and he was weighed down by his sins. He was uh, just feeling a sense of burden and weight for all of these things that he had done inside of him, that he was carrying inside of him, and it was, it was just weighing down on him. And he's like, I've got to do something about this. And so he went, he lived in this small town called, I think it was Mottlingen, Germany. He went to this pastor, his name was Johann Blumhart, a pastor of a local church. And he said, I've got to do something about this. And so for a while he sat with this pastor and he just confessed everything that he had ever done. He's like, I just got to get this off my chest. And he said everything. And in the aftermath of saying that, this pastor reassured him with the forgiveness of God. And he walked out of there with this incredible sense of relief and lightness. And he's like, man, I got to tell people about this possible relief. And so he just started talking to people about it. And so in this little community, over the course of the next uh, month, so by the end of January, there were 35 more people in his community that had gone to the same pastor and just confessed everything that they had ever done because they just wanted to feel the lightness. And they did. And by the, the middle of February, just two weeks later, there was 150 people that had come to do the exact same thing. And what had happened in this community was a miracle. It's a transformation of sorts. Like things were, were like, people were just changing. They documented some of these changes. Um, and and here's, here's what they said. They said, after this, stolen goods were returned. Enemies were reconciled infidelities were confessed and broken marriages were restored. Crimes, including the case of infanticide, were solved. That's wild, isn't it? Marriage, or excuse me, alcoholics even found sobriety in this. It was this miraculous transformation that when people experience forgiveness, things change. When people understand that they have been saved from their sins, people change. I think one of the reasons that this story is so intriguing is because it reflects, for many of us, part of our story. This fact that we tend to look outside and we fixate on all these problems out there that other people have, that, that other things are, are imposing on us. We see all these problems out here while simultaneously covering up parts of us that we don't want to be seen. That most of us have done things that we would not want to go public. We have said things that we would be terrified if people actually heard some of the things that we've said, some of the things that we've texted. There are habits and addictions that we have that we are not proud of. We feel guilty. Many of us feel even ashamed at times. And our reaction is to hide it, to cover over it, to ignore it. We think, man, if I can only perform good enough so that people will see the impressive side of me and I can keep this dark part of me hidden in some way so people don't see it, then I'll be good. But that kind of living like the young man from Germany back 150 years ago, that weighs on us. That's burdensome. That's no way to live. Our sins weigh us down. So Jesus came to earth on Christmas so that you didn't have to hide anymore. You don't have to pretend that you have it all together. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. We can be freed, saved from our sins, like the people of Motling in Germany. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, let me just remind you or encourage you that you can have an incredible freedom because Jesus has come. The only way this is possible, he has come to save you from your sins. The world was in chaos, in battle, in sin, and it sin seemed to be winning. And Jesus came to earth. 
He lived a sinless life that you could never live. He went to the cross to pay the the penalty for your sins. And that means if you trust in him, good news. Your sins are taken care of. You don't have to perform. You don't have to impress. You don't have to hide. Jesus saw you at your worst and he reached down and saved you out of that mess. Now, I don't want to be, I don't mean to be sarcastic, but think about it. Do you think, if you have a tendency to doubt that, do you think that the God of the universe would come from heaven down to earth, that he would put on flesh, literal skin and bones, live a difficult life, be persecuted, be mistreated, even be killed, crucified? Would he do all that to carry out a plan that didn't work? Absolutely not. Operation Christmas worked. Heaven won the battle. Your sins have been covered. The punishment is gone. You're forgiven. You can walk in freedom. You don't have to feel shame because Jesus came to earth to save you from your sins. And this is the good news of Christmas. So if you're here and you've trusted in Jesus but maybe there's some sins that you're thinking about in your head. Maybe there's some things that you've done that you feel like, man, I don't know if I've gone too far. That's a lie from the accuser, from the enemy. Jesus came to save you from your sins. Operation Christmas worked. He saved you. If you feel like your doubt has maybe disqualified you from the love of Jesus, if you've trusted in him, man, that's a lie. Trust him. He was faithful. He accomplished the work. Now, if you're in the room and maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you would say that you've never surrendered to Jesus before, I have to wonder, are there parts of you, kind of like that story, are there parts of you that you're covering up? Are there things that you're desperately trying to hide? Are there things that maybe cause some guilt and shame in your head and in your heart? Things that that you've done in the past that just kind of stick to you, that you feel like you can't get rid of? Well, I think God would want you to know that no amount of avoiding or covering up or even impressing people in public will remedy that situation. You need to be saved from your sins. And the good news of Christmas is, Jesus came to earth to do exactly that, to offer that to you. And the good news of Christmas is Jesus came to save us. Complete forgiveness and freedom. You can be saved if you surrender your life to Jesus. The Christmas story is this beautiful story of God in grace, in love, looking down at us and saying, hey, I'm going to be faithful to my promises. And he was. To come and dwell with us, to show how he wanted to be with us. He was generous to dwell with us. God the Father was loving to send his son, as we talked about before. And as a king, um, he, he came down to be a king and to reign on high. And in Matthew one twenty one, we see that he is gracious to save us. And so Providence Church, this Christmas, as you see every manger scene or nativity that you come across, as you hear the Bethlehem story maybe told once and again, for every Christmas carol we sing, could we be reminded and could we be confident in the fact of what that means? It's that Jesus has saved us from our sins. Amen? So we want to, um, 
in this time by uh, not me praying over you, but saying a prayer together in gratitude that Jesus has saved us from our sins. And so we're going to put a prayer on the screen. And I'd invite you, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, well, I'd invite everyone to stand up. And if you feel comfortable, I'd invite you to read this with us. It's a prayer of thanksgiving and gratitude that Jesus has saved us from our sins. So would you read this together with me? It says, Father, you alone are mighty and gracious to save. We are grateful that you named your son Jesus so that we might be forgiven our sins. You are the consolation of Israel, the hope of the nations, and the savior of the world. May we be captured today by the joy of our salvation in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Father, Son, and